Hi everyone, I'm Sam and welcome to my podcast, Sit Down with a Scientist. Every episode I will speak with one of the leading scientists in the United Kingdom about their research and the experiences which got them to where they are today. This episode I'm joined by Dr Giorgio Gilestro, a scientist from Imperial College London who studies why we sleep and, more specifically, whether or not sleep is really that important. Hi Giorgio and welcome to the podcast. Hi Sam. Uh, How are you doing today? I'm great, yeah, happy to be here with you. So to start with, could you tell us a bit about what it is that you actually do? Yeah, so my lab at Imperial studies sleep. In particular, we try to understand what sleep does, what sleep is and why we sleep. And we almost exclusively focus our research on the fruit fly, Drosophila melanogaster. And so the question is, why do flies sleep? What happens when they sleep uh, in in their body, in their cells? And hopefully that will allow us to understand what happens when we sleep. Amazing. So what is it that kind of got you interested in going into research of sleep? I study in Italy uh, medical biotechnology as an undergrad. And during my studies, I actually forfeited most of lectures to go to the lab. So I spent four years working in the lab while I was an undergrad. And then I was studying, I was working on in a, in a, in a cancer uh, lab. But I was already quite interested in neuroscience. So what my project was about was actually try to study how genes that regulate metastatic movements, so the cancer cells moving around, how those genes also regulate uh, neuronal movements. That means how they regulate the process that wires neurons together through development. So I worked there for a few years, I managed to publish paper there and it was good and fun. But then I decided that if you want to study the brain, you're better off with a, actually like a model system that actually has a brain rather than just single cells. And then I moved for my PhD to Austria, where I started working on development of the nervous system in the embryo of fruit flies. And during that time, I kind of matured a passion for behavior rather than development. And uh, and one behavior that I thought was very much unexplored and obviously very interesting was sleep. Something I really like to know is what it was that actually caused you to be interested in science in the first place and whether your parents played any role in that for example were they scientists themselves no my parents weren't are not scientists were not scientists my mother used to be a elementary teacher a teacher in elementary school my father worked in a in a company where they make public telephones right you know now they don't exist anymore but Back in the days, we, we had a big business of putting telephones in the middle of the street, and so that was his job. And in fact, I was the first one from the larger family, I think, to even go to university. But uh, yeah, I, I was interested in, in this career, basically, as far as far as I can remember. I always wanted to be a scientist, and I think you can still find pictures of myself being three or four years old, wearing uh, my father's white shirt, in, uh, as if it were a lab coat. <laughs> With the rise of trends in trying to live a healthier life, there have been a lot of books published about sleep and about how we can sleep better. But what actually is sleep? Sleep is uh, it's difficult to define from the biological point of view because we don't have a biological description of what happens while you sleep, right? So think about something uh, as universal as, as sleep, like feeding. We know exactly why we feed. We know exactly what happens to food once it gets into your body how it gets converted into sugar, eventually energy, and how this is so fundamental for your cells to survive. We have no even remotely similar description for sleep. We don't know whether there is a sleep calorie, something that your cell will then use to gain from it. So from the biological point of view, it is almost impossible to give a description of sleep. 
So most definition of sleep really nailed down to the behavioral aspects. And the behavioral aspects are that during sleep, all animals either completely or almost completely lose consciousness. They get in a stage where they are not aware of the surrounding. They stop moving. And so they basically enter in, in, a, different, in a different state. And we still don't know why. So at the moment, the best and only definition we have of sleep is really behavioral. It's the, the one condition where you have a, a specific posture and you lose contact with the external world for a certain period of time. Most scientists would argue that almost all animals sleep, but what makes our sleep different to the rest state things like bacteria go into? There are two aspects of sleep which are fundamentally specific to this state. And one is uh, what we call arousal threshold. So meaning that if you are just resting, sitting on a chair or on a tree, depending on what kind of animal you are, you'll be reacting to a um, stimulus even if it's not very loud or very relevant. But if you are asleep, so physically having the same position and you know externally undistinguishable, you won't respond to any stimulus. You just respond to stimuli that are loud enough or relevant enough. And so that's what we call arousal threshold. So during, during sleep, your threshold for arousal grows and, and you need a, either a louder stimulus or a more relevant stimulus to wake up. The other difference is homeostasis, meaning that if I sleep deprive you, you're going to be more tired tomorrow uh, and that it's not necessarily the case if I just won't allow you to simply rest. About two years ago, Matthew Walker, a professor at the University of Berkeley in California, released a book called Why We Sleep, which I suppose has been seen as the definitive guide to sleep in the 21st century. And in this book, there's a quote which basically says that the shorter you sleep for, the shorter your lifespan will be. And this isn't especially surprising to the majority of people. Many of us, if we have a really late night and we wake up the next morning, we feel pretty groggy and unwell. And there have been plenty of studies into the effects of working late nights and night shifts on people's general life expectancy. However, when I was looking through some of your research, I came across a really interesting paper, which was actually the latest one, which was published in February of this year. And this paper argued that that belief may not be as accurate as we initially thought. Well, I mean, there, there is a, there is a epidemiology saying that shorter sleep correlates with a shorter lifespan. There is also epidemiology that says that longer sleep correlates with shorter lifespan. So there seems to be some kind of sweet spot for sleep, according to those studies. So they are quite controversial and quite frankly difficult to even perform. We know that there are categories like what you mentioned, shift work, who are particularly subjected to, you know, different lifestyle when it comes to sleep amount. But we also know very well that what really matters for shift workers is not the sleep amount, but rather the circadian pattern. So these people feel usually miserable, not because they sleep less, but because they sleep at the wrong time. And so basically you can imagine that what they feel is that they feel continuously and constantly jet lagged. And when you are jet lagged, can try this yourself, travel to the US, and maybe you have a good, decent or normal night of sleep, but then the day after you still feel miserable because your clock doesn't match the clock of the area where you are living. So there is some complication in just basically disentangled what are the effects of lack of sleep from what are the effects of a messed up circadian rhythm, at least to, to shift workers. There is also the fact that often 
we don't sleep or we lose sleep because we found ourselves say stressed out it could be for work reason it could be for health reason it could be for for love so again it's difficult to disentangle whether the effect on our health comes from lack of sleep or rather from what is underlying that situation regarding our recent work what we found is we try to address exactly the question of whether sleep is a vital necessity in fruit flies and the reason we we did that is because it's i found is not a question that is fundamentally answered yet sleep is universal is found in every species and in animals as we said before and so that led some people to think that it must have some vital function. At the same time, though, you can think of two other universal phenomena that you find uh, everywhere. One is um, feeding, and we know that feeding is absolutely vital. And the other is uh, circadian rhythms. You basically find circadian rhythms in any, not just animals, but basically every plant also on the planet, right? Everything that's living on this planet tends to have a circadian rhythm. And so they are universally conserved. But you can live without circadian rhythm. You don't live a good life. You are quite unhappy and miserable, but you can live a normal life in terms of lifespan without circadian rhythm. We have uh, circadian mutants who live uh, basically a normal lifespan, although they don't have a functioning circadian rhythm. And so the question is, is sleep a conserved factor that is more similar to feeding? So it's uh, some vital function that is uh, at the single cell level, or is sleep a conserved factor that is more similar to circadian rhythms, meaning universally present, but not necessarily vital in the same way that food is vital. And so we did some extensive study in, in Drosophila doing different kinds of sleep deprivations with robots that would keep the flies awake whenever they would fall asleep for um, longer than 20 seconds. And we basically, we could not kill the flies just by removing sleep. We removed, I would say, conservatively speaking, something like 98% of the sleep. But the flies had generally a normal lifespan. And so, yeah, our conclusion is that sleep is a universally conserved phenomenon, but not like feeding, but rather like circadian rhythms. So it's present everywhere and does not possibly provide a vital necessity at the single cell level. Which is not to say, you know, it doesn't mean that is, you know, you can go without sleep. If you try not to sleep and then drive a car, you probably kill yourself. So in that sense, it is vital, but it is not vital in the same sense that food is. So you're essentially saying that lacking sleep won't kill you, but it might cause you to make risky decisions or you'll be generally unhappier and therefore maybe it will definitely affect your fitness right so yeah our flies in the lab don't die directly from lack of sleep but my bet is that if we sleep deprive them and then we release them in the wild they probably won't last long sleep is there for a reason but uh, that reason is not conceptually similar to the reason why we feed basically there is not probably a sleep calorie that we have to find Obviously, for a lot of these sleep studies, it's not possible to perform them on people because it can be seen as, I suppose, somewhat unethical. And I don't know if you saw, but a couple of weeks ago, a Twitter account appeared called Just Says in Mice. And what they do is they find science news stories which have been published by major news organisations, the BBC, The Guardian, The Daily Mail, and they just tweet in mice, trying to raise people's awareness to the fact that a lot of these news stories saying things like bacon can help you live an extra 30 years are studies which are performed in mice and may not necessarily be applicable to people. Now, your latest study and a lot of your studies are studies performed on Drosophila melanogaster, the fruit fly. How applicable actually is the knowledge that you acquire from these studies? Can it be applied to other species? Could it potentially be applied to people? Or is this data only really applicable to the flies from which it was collected? So I've seen that account actually. It's, it's, it's funny. One, one aspect that I looked into it is usually when fly people publish a paper, they tend to be very explicit, even in just in the title, that the kind of research was done in flies. And mice people, they 
kind of assume, I suppose, <laughs> the reader understand that. So they often, you don't understand whether this was done in humans or mice or any other animals until the very end of the paper. Uh, how applicable it is? I don't have an answer to this, but I can make a bet. Basically, one of the reasons why flies are so successful in biology and genetics research in general is because normally what we find in flies turns out to be true all the way to humans. That's one of the reasons. Flies have been awarded, I think, something like six Nobel Prizes so far for discoveries that turn out to be absolutely relevant in humans and all way throughout evolution. The latest Nobel Prize that the flies were awarded with was the one for circadian rhythms. So there is a good record. There is a good track record and so we can assume that anything we'll find in in Drosophila, not just for sleep but also in the future, will have a fundamental truth also to humans. Anyone who owns a pet or has spent a significant amount of time looking at animals in the wild will know that different species of animal sleep for different amounts of time. For example, the little brown bat sleeps for 21 hours a day, whereas giraffes sleep for about two hours a day. Is this difference in the amount that different species sleep because it's more or less important for them. I, I think, uh, you know, this is this is obviously a puzzling finding and it's, it's a bit unexplored. There's another layer of complexity you can add to this. Not only do animals sleep for different amount of times, but sometimes the same species, the same animals can sleep for different amount of times throughout their lifetime. So for instance, migratory birds, they, when they migrate from say South America to Alaska, they have a very long trip over the ocean and they are believed not to sleep throughout the trip so they can go without sleep for weeks or months then they reach the destination and usually when they reach the destination it is because they move there for say mating reasons so it's mating season they're looking for mating partners and some birds while they look for mating partners they basically completely forego sleep so after such a long trip not only they don't feel tired but in fact they continue staying awake looking for mating partners for months in a row and then what they what the data show is that uh, after they successfully spend their time in say in alaska what they do is they take off and they fly towards russia and they go again for weeks or months in a row without sleep and so we have data that suggest that some migratory birds basically can go without sleep for months and months and months every year. Other times of the year, where they are not busy mating or whatever, then they just have the same normal sleep pressure, the same sleep pressure that you know humans experience. And if you try to keep them awake at those times, you'll have a hard time. And so there are other animals like this, like dolphins, are believed to forego sleep completely after they give birth. Seals, they can also forego sleep, at least sometimes of sleep, depending on whether they uh, live in the water or on the land. Animals can normally change their sleep needs, depending on the ecological and social context. In general, there are two possible ways to frame sleep amount. One that you can call restorative function. So sleep provides some restorative function to your cells, to your body, to your organs and one adaptive function. Adaptive function means that basically, if you are an animal, you have accomplished all your biological drives and duties for the day, why would you spend more time wandering around the savanna? It's just a risk, so you're better off staying in a cave or whatever and sleep. And so that's probably what bats do, right? So bats are carnivores. They can get away with just a small meal on, of insects. It's very energetic and highly proteic. And so they can afford to have a small meal, do a little bit of social life, and then sleep 21 hours a day. Elephants, on the other hand, they are herbivores and they're huge and they have to eat all the time, basically, to maintain just their body size. So they cannot afford to fall asleep. So that speaks very much in favor of the adaptive 
description of sleep where you basically sleep just to save energy and to stay out of trouble and the question is is our sleep also adaptive so those eight hours a day that we sleep do they have only a restorative function or mostly restorative function or mostly an adapting function and i must say that my personal view which is not necessarily the view that most of the field has at the moment is that most of human sleep is actually adaptive is not restorative So if most human sleep is adaptive rather than restorative, have humans always slept the whole way through the night? Or is that something that's evolved more recently? Have we always slept for eight hours a day? There is some research into that. There's two kind of research lines that people have taken to look at that. One is purely historical. So looking at basically reports through the Middle Age or even earlier description of how people would sleep. And it seems like in terms of quantity, it would not be very different. According to that research line, what it seems would happen back then is that humans would fall asleep a bit earlier. Obviously, you know, you didn't have electric light, so that was a big change in the lifestyle. So what, according to those researches, humans would go to sleep a bit earlier, then they would wake up in the middle of the night, around midnight or one o'clock. They would stay awake for one hour, two hours doing business. It could be social interaction, it could be cooking or whatever. And then they would fall asleep. So according to that research, uh, humans' natural cycle will be two shorter cycles of four hours each. Uh, But then some other researchers, what they've done is they've tried to replicate those studies into societies and tribes, maybe in uh, uh, South America, the Amazonian forest, people who still live without electrical uh, artificial light. And it doesn't seem to be the case in those conditions. In those conditions, we don't really see those two, four hours stretches. So I guess the still an open question. What is the natural sleep pattern for a human being? In terms of sleep amounts, clearly changes. So when you are younger, you sleep longer. And as you grow older, you sleep less. Newborns, they can sleep 16 hours a day or even more, while elderly person is fine with five, six hours of sleep a day. Do you have any tips for people at home as to how they can sleep better? So there's an interesting line of research that appeared not too long ago about people who actually cannot sleep well, right? People who suffer from insomnia. And what you'll find is that if these people are conditioned to believe that they must get eight hours of sleep a night, they'll feel miserable in the morning when they don't. But the moment they accept their insomnia and the moment they condition themselves to think that okay I'll be fine even if I sleep three hours a night I'll be fine tomorrow then they start to feel subjectively better and so part of what I want to say is is this you know we should treat sleep with importance but not too much we should not be too obsessed on 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 sleep and sleeping well so there are good hygiene tips that you read which i definitely recommend so for instance you know do not have a tv set in the bedroom try to avoid lights before going to sleep but they mostly concern circadian rhythm so do not do physical activity in the evening just before going to bed but then at the same time you know if if you for once in a while you sleep less is, is fine i found this on my on my body when i was a younger I used to suffer a lot from sleep deprivation, Uh, just really being physically sick if I were to wake up uh, earlier in the morning. And then I had kids, and as a matter of fact, I had to change my lifestyle. And I realized that I could just do it, you know, just wake up at 5.30 in the morning. So you can, there is some adaptation you can do to to sleep. So maybe people can focus on that a little bit. And finally, I'd like to know what one thing in your life makes you happiest? I think I found I'm most content when I manage to um, 
find a, a good equilibrium between work and, and life, this famous work-life balance. When I was a PhD student, I didn't have that. I basically was working all the time. There were times where, many times where I saw the sun rise in the lab and, uh, and I wasn't happy. And I, not only I wasn't happy, but I also I wasn't very successful, scientifically speaking, in terms of uh, getting good experimental success. So it's that evidence for why sleep is important. It definitely did play a role into choosing, yes, sleep as a topic. Basically, of course, you know, when you work 24-7, it's not just sleep that you're lacking. It's really an equilibrium in your life and everything gets a bit stressful but so what i what i did after my phd i started my postdoc in the states my former boss used to call these people the nine to fivers I, I decided that i wanted to become a nine to fiver and there i became just way more productive in the lab i was just way more productive and so i understood that um i had found a, a good balance and i tried to maintain that and you know i have kids and uh, my wife works and travels a lot so i often have to work from home to just take care of the kids. And I think that balance gives me peace of mind, yeah. Thank you so much, Giorgio, for joining me on the podcast to talk about what is a really, really interesting topic area. Thank you, Sam, for having this. If you would like to keep up to date with what Giorgio is doing, you can follow him on Twitter at Giorgio Gilestro. I will put a link in the description. And if you want to keep up to date with everything science, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to my YouTube channel, SJ Mackay, and follow my Instagram at Uncharted Science. Have a lovely few weeks, and I'll see you all next time. Ta-ra.